I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In our final part of our three-part series on deaf culture, Lake continues his conversation with C3 and Maya. They discuss deaf culture in general, COVID and the deaf community, and the difference between big D deaf and little d deaf. Enjoy! All right, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about deaf culture. I think that oftentimes I hear this term deaf culture thrown around. I also hear big D deaf versus little d deaf. I'm wondering if you can elaborate, first of all, on what big D versus little d deaf is, and then what is deaf culture and, and what defines deaf culture? We're going to start off with the way I was raised. I was raised with the acknowledgement that I lost one of my senses from the time I was born. Medically, I have a profound hearing loss, therefore I am lowercase deaf. I had no exposure to the deaf culture, to the deaf community, which we'll describe about later. I did have some basic sign language um, awareness, and I was able to produce some and receptively understand some. It was limited. It was more so for the transition of world of no uh, no sound to the world of sound because I did not get my cochlear implant until I was three years old. So my family, my parents decided that it would be a good transition in incorporating finger spelling, uh, signed exact English where you sign each word or you even sign like the ing at the end of a word or the ed at the end of the word to acknowledge where its placement is in the sentence and what its meaning is. And so then um, about the time that I entered elementary school, that um, the signing component gradually declined. And that was the intention. As I developed my speech and listening skills and adapted to the hearing assistive technology, I would then become more independent in my listening and speech. All of that is because I have this disability in a community that is hearing. I grew up still lowercase d until I entered college and took it upon myself to learn American Sign Language. I was able to more easily pick it up from the beginning since I did have some basic skills when I was a little child. After taking formal instruction in American Sign Language, I then dated somebody who was deaf and a native signer. From there, my sophomore year of college, I immersed myself more in the deaf culture and the deaf community, um, whether that were events, a group of deaf friends who are native signers who have gone to deaf schools growing up, who had a different upbringing than I did, and some who didn't have hearing assistive devices, I was starting to identify more with this group of people. I had an option to enter uh, a new community in a new world that wasn't hearing, and that was predominantly deaf. 
and most of these people identified with the big D. Gradually throughout those four years in college, I started to identify as a big D when I gained more um, skills in American Sign Language and an understanding of it. And I almost think it was also a line of respect that the community of people who already identified with the big D, that they welcomed me into that space, knowing my intentions, recognizing that, yes, I have a different background, um, but that I have taken the pieces of working myself into somebody who can be in that community, uh, being intentional about it and respecting their culture that then became my culture. And I'm now married to Maya, who had a different upbringing than I did. And we have certain ideals for our family um, living here in Washington, D.C. with a bit deaf community. We have a lot of facets in our lives that allow us to carry on the identity of a big D. And maybe Maya can share a little bit about why people identify with the big D. Yes, and I wanted to emphasize that what the two of us were talking about, that's from our opinion. It's our perspective. It doesn't apply to every deaf person. Maybe other people would have different input, but this is from my experience and my perspective. So to be honest, I had never heard of big D or little d deaf until I was older. It wasn't until I became older, like, oh, big D, little d. But I do recognize that that identity, I've been, I've been identifying as big D for so long and I feel that people who identify as big D really cherish the language. ASL is not, or, or PSC or however you sign. I don't want to force ASL on everyone because I know that everybody has different modes of sign language, but we're going to talk about ASL here. You know, sign language in general is a big part of deaf culture. The deaf community has a variety here. You know, there are people from that don't sign. There are people who are fluent signers, but the culture really revolves around the language. It's a feeling of belonging. It's a feeling of sameness. It's a feeling of sharing similar experiences, of having similar backgrounds and kind of understanding the lives that we have led within other experiences that we have had. When I talk with hearing people or people who don't know sign language, I find sometimes a little bit of resistance until I'm able to get through. But most of the time, it's frustrating. Like, how am I going to talk, get through this barrier? But when I'm talking to somebody who knows sign language, it doesn't matter if they're hearing or deaf. I feel like I can share more. I can show you who I am. I can tell you who I am because we have that connection there in the language because you understand me. I want more. I feel that connection. It's just like those things are so different and they, they connect. And with that language, there's a sense of belonging to the community and seeing that is pretty standard throughout the deaf community. And that's inspiring. That's how I interpret from my perspective, what big D deaf is. I can't remember what the phrase is called, like hit the nail on the head with that one. Is that right? And that is belonging. Culture is a makeup of a variety of things. And there are numerous different cultures. And I feel like ultimately a culture is a space in which you feel like you belong. It has its ticks, its quirks, its bonuses, um, 
its way of being. And deaf people, when they come together, they have a way of being. And if you belong within that culture, you're in a space where it just might be your community to be in. Whether, you know, it doesn't have to be just deaf people. It can be CODAs, children of deaf adults. Uh, it can be families who have deaf siblings. It can be interpreters, American Sign Language interpreters, certified deaf interpreters. There are a variety of different people that can be a part of this community. Um, I think it's, are you respecting it? Are you, do you feel belong, like you belong to it? And I feel like that's, that's some individual choice. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Michaela Petrovic. And this summer, I've been hard at work at creating an NCCJ TikTok page under the handle at NCCJ Dayton. We have funny videos on there. We have educational videos on there. We have videos about any town. So check it out. So I know that you've mentioned language as being a component of this deaf culture and how that really makes this great sense of belonging in this community. I'm curious, are there other aspects of deaf culture. I believe even Gloria has mentioned to me in the past, like gatherings like of the deaf community. So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more about what that community and what that culture looks like. I think of the way a moth acts when there is a light. They're attracted to it, they fly around it, they get excited. That's where the fun stuff's happening. That's where they feel like they need to be. If you put a bunch of deaf people in the room, let's say there's also a mix of hearing individuals. Let's say there are dogs and cats in there. Let's say there's a lot of pandemonium going on. Typically, you may see the deaf will find the other deaf, just like the moth finds the light. And they will talk and talk and talk and talk. The cats and dogs will go. The hearing people will go. All the other chaos will go. And the deaf people didn't even notice. They talk and talk and talk. And they end up getting in this enclosed space. The event is long over. The, the lights are shutting down in the building. And people are like, okay, okay, okay. We got to get going. We got to get going. And then you know what? You'll find them in the parking lot by their cars and talk and talk and talk under the street light. That is a huge part of the deaf culture and that was especially prevalent before technology. Because before technology, deaf people, when they saw one another, that was their chance to communicate. That was their chance to connect. Whereas now today, there's a variety of ways to connect, fortunately. Another example would be deaf people, like, don't be surprised if deaf people are late. Yeah. If they tell you they're going to arrive at 8, you can expect them at 8.30. <laughs> if they arrive on time, great. If not, that's pretty appropriate. That's what we call deaf standard time, DST. Did I use that right? Deaf standard time? Yeah, yeah, deaf standard time. I haven't used that word in a long time. And another really cool thing about deaf culture is... Deaf slang, deaf slang. We have our own cool words and things that we use that hearing people don't really understand. Sometimes they understand what the context is. Like for example, the word pa, the word pa. 
it means like finally like this is the sign but you have to make that mouth morphine you have to say pa so sometimes when we're texting with each other if we're talking we'll do little things like pa which means finally and those are little tidbits of deaf culture that you'll see snuck around in our written and expressive language yeah that's only one of many but those are words that you know are unique to this culture um which i think goes with the definition of what culture can be and also to kind of take a little further physical space um i think it might be a more of a modern way of thinking that sometimes people may refer to as deaf space. Right now, Maya and I are looking at houses in the DC area, and we're hoping to become own homeowners maybe in the next year. When we look at these homes, there are times when I'll be like, oh, that's a deaf space. That might be like an open concept uh, kitchen where you can see into the living room and the dining room. If you imagine that's a space where we can comfortably use our sign language and see one another because we can't talk between walls. So that can be a deaf space. Uh, also universities, like schools like Gallaudet, RIT, CSUN in California, they may have certain components on their campus where architecture is thought intentionally with who are the students that are gonna be here and making a deaf space out of that, whatever that may be. And typically it's just a more open, more visually friendly space. So I think that's another more like modern part of the culture if we took it a step further. Awesome. And I wanna kind of conclude, and I apologize if there's background noise. Um, we are recording this episode in December and my apartment complex has just decided to leaf blow and clean up the leaves from fall. So that's going on in the background. And of course, they've decided to do that on the day I'm recording a podcast. Oh, well, I can't hear it, so. <laughs> um, well, hopefully it's not too loud. We'll see after editing. Um, that, but I wanna wrap up at the end with talking a little bit about COVID. And I imagine that we'll get a little bit more into COVID and we've touched on it a little bit. Maya had mentioned some masks earlier. So I wanna start this conversation with a social media post. And I assume that a lot of the individuals at home have seen a post about clear face masks and that these are a way that we can really allow deaf people to, to better understand us and read our lips. Um, again, as I said, with the information about kind of service industry, who knows where these posts originated. So. I want to start the conversation. Are clear face masks something that people should be pushing for? Um, or is this another case of we really need to be, you know, using written communication? I personally, speaking of C3, I wouldn't advocate for clear masks until they get rid of that problem with fogging and saliva and air bubbles, wet bubbles in their clear mask. My family, really sweet. The two of us went home before Thanksgiving break and we socially distanced outside. My mom, my sister, my brother, brother-in-law, they wore clear masks. We went for a long walk for two hours. Those clear masks were gross. Humidity, weather, talking, the rain, it just, it was, like we all have another place that we can look at 
You know, we have to look at the person in the face. So I feel like if clear masks were able to be invented, and maybe there is something there that we don't quite know about yet, if it had the ability to stay clear and stay clean, and maybe that's just frequent cleaning, I don't know, then I think clear masks is a wonderful thing for other people to have. Um, and maybe even deaf to deaf, because you know we do um, rely on facial expressions as a way of communicating along with sign language. But for the most part, it's not about deaf having clear masks. We've had the people who come up to us and they're like, well, you should, you should try those clear masks sometime. And we're like, us, maybe that's you, because we need to be able to communicate with you and understand you. You already understand us if we're using our voice. So that's one thought I have. And I have to agree, not only all of that gross stuff, but it's also really distracting. I also wanted to mention about an appropriate mask. It doesn't have to be clear. I find it very distracting when interpreters use a mask that is not clear or like, even if it's just like, if they're constantly having to pull it down or have to pull it up, like that's already distracting enough. So imagine having a clear mask. Those are things that are really hard today in today's COVID era is the masks falling off, you know, maybe some interpreters have great masks, but not all of them do. So that's one negative as well. And honestly, since COVID, you know, we haven't really been interacting with people like we have, but we've been really good about socially distance and making sure that our masks are on. I have a coworker who came to drop off a wedding gift because the two of us didn't have a wedding this year. And it was very sweet. They came to drop off the wedding gift and we were willing to sit and we socially distanced. We were six feet apart. We were willing to like take the mask off as long as we were six feet apart so that we could communicate better. And that was really nice. You know, it's important to be also comfortable. So it's just a judgment. I can't really remember of anything right now with the mask conversation. It's just, it's like, ah. Uh another thing that's a barrier and i mean the pandemic it's affecting every single person so it's not a self-pity party it's one of those things where it has to be taken a step further of how to creatively communicate another thing because right now we're working from home for the time being most of us do remote video so we don't need a mask or we'll call using the video phone so we don't need the masks for that kind of interaction we can continue our communication and our culture through that one negative about being in person you know for whatever reason when i show up to work several times i've shown up with an interpreter with a mask and we struggle with figuring out which word they're using you know, when I sign, I personally like to read the interpreter's list because then that way that gives me some kind of alignment with the English language. But with a mask, I have no idea what kind of word they're using because I don't get that linguistic cue or what word they're using to sign because one sign can mean five different things depending on the context. So it can be a little bit frustrating and a little bit of an obstacle to deal with not getting those um, lip reading cues that are just as necessary. When we talk about safety in this situation, safety is number one. And 
yes, we get caught up in the moment. We don't think before we act, but too often than not, people are taking down their masks when we're one foot apart. In that situation, it's weirdly conflicting. We appreciate the thought, but we don't appreciate the other thought that was lacking, which is safety. There are still, again, like we talked about before, that there are alternative ways. It's just, of course, we're in the moment. I might have done the same thing. Um, so that's a time when we're kind of like, and they're like, what? you're rejecting my wanting to meet you where you're at. And so there's a lot of miscommunication. And I think in general, in this pandemic, there is a lot of miscommunication because we, we all rely on body language. We don't always know if somebody's laughing or smiling or if they're pouting. And so I really think it's a general impediment to people's way of communicating with one another. So I want to talk for a moment about working from home, something that many Americans right now, it's just their reality. And I think in a lot of workplaces, they've kind of said, this is the reality for maybe forever for some of our employees. So I'm curious what interpreter access looks like when you're on Zoom meetings and you're working from home. Is that a limitation or is that just as accessible as being in the workplace? My agency doesn't do any Zoom. I don't know why they don't do that. Maybe it's for security reasons. I'm not really sure. But for me personally, I use Skype. Sometimes FaceTime if Skype is having connectivity issues, but I have two different laptops side by side. One is my working laptop, which I use regularly. And then one is my personal laptop so that I can video phone with the interpreter and have them side to side. Fortunately, I have my personal laptop. If it weren't for that, I'm not really sure what I would do. And I have to figure out a different way. I could probably do it with an iPad. Maybe it's just a smaller screen. So sometimes that doesn't work out, but I use Skype. What do you use? What else do we use? FaceTime. And um, we're called Teams. Yeah, Microsoft Teams, but that software I use, and I don't really use Teams on my personal computer, so I'm not using that with my interpreter. Remember, I don't have staff interpreters at my agency, and if I don't have an interpreter, I use Microsoft Teams, but the agency doesn't have a phone number for that, so that's what they're working out of right now is Teams. There's no phone number for that, so there's no interpreter. Now the video phone, the video phone is great and it's easy because all you need is a phone number to call in. Unless there's a Teams without a phone number, then that could be a problem. But when COVID hit, I'm sure everybody was caught off guard. I know everybody was caught off guard. How are we gonna change this? How are we gonna process this? I'm sure that most people now have found a way to resolve those issues, just like Microsoft Teams will work for some agencies and some agencies use different things. I've been able to connect with my like contracting agency through my laptop. So that's how I'm doing my work. What about you, C3? We use, we use the software called Teams and it's an easy way to be able to pin someone like an interpreter and make them the spotlight on your end. And that's what I do while everybody else is in smaller icons. And I can also pin more than one person. So I could put the speaker next to the interpreter. And for me, it's been no problem. I guess, again, part of it's just the place that I work for, and it's not that easy for everybody else. 
Yeah, and because her Microsoft team maybe has more features than the one that I'm using, um, maybe mine is a little bit more limited because like I said, we just set up teams that hasn't been in there a long time. So they're probably trying to figure out what the best way for security is or try to get it to the level it is. You know, as long as they understand the situation, as long as I know what's going on, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm satisfied. And a lot of this is just uh, availability to funding. Some people don't have the funding to be able to have the same features or the same software um, and security measures if needed to be able to provide certain accommodations. And that just made me think about her agency and my agency. Like, I just realized that what works for her works for her. What works for me works for me. But some agencies, that's not the case for everybody. Some agencies need to catch up and there's issues that are still being broached. You know, it can be very tough. So it just depends on an individual basis, what your company is doing and how they're accommodating for you. So I want to really quickly open up kind of an opportunity for, first of all, is there anything that you feel that I've missed on COVID that you want to add and anything from your own personal stories that you want to add or, or just any last minute thoughts that, that you want to add to the conversation? There's one message that I always hope to communicate about deaf people as a group and also as individuals. We are more than not viewed as incapable, even if that's a second thought or a subconscious way of thinking for people. Because we're viewed less than is because we're in the hearing world. We're in an unaccommodating world. And we're talking, you know, as a generalization. If, and imagine if we were in an accommodating world, again, as a generalization, we do just like any other person can do. Our abilities then become unique and embraced and instead not viewed as less than. So I think it's really a lot of it. The way we are is because of our environment. We are the product of the environment. We are because of the environment. So we can provide the adjustment to certain environments that we can control. And in that space, we then become viewed as equals, as peers and as people who are capable. And it's simple. Uh, for me, it's simple as well. Deaf people don't bite. We don't bite. And see us for who we are. I mean, that's it. Because you know us as people. We are people. You don't realize how much you miss if you don't take the opportunity to chat with us or to talk with us and get to know us. We have so many different experiences that you can learn from. So come to us and see us as who we are. Awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate everyone's time today. I know I definitely have a lot to think about and it's just been a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our three-part series on deaf culture. However, our overall series on the deaf community will continue. Join us next week for the first part of our two-part series on CODAs, or Kid of a Deaf Adult. Blake will talk with Jacob Lewis Miller and Gloria and Isabel Papatera about being CODAs. Thanks for listening.